This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. That's me drumming. You do it a lot better than I do, Matt. <laughs> Matt can do paradiddles. Very slowly. I kid you not. Flams. I can do a flam. What's a flam? Uh, it's the, it's it's another drumming rudiment. Uh, drumming rudiment. 12.02 here, 3 triple R FM. You're listening to it. It is the afternoon. My name is Cameron Smith. Across from me, I have... Matt Stedman. How are you, Cam? You're I, looking well. For I'm at 80%. You are at, you've, you've rated yourself four out of five. <laughs> For today's show, I, did. I don't know whether that's higher or lower than normal. We're about to find out. Right, sixty minutes. Setting the bar here, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> for the uh, for the afternoon. It's lovely to have your company. Yes, pull up a seat, put the kettle on, mm. open up some drinks. Oh. Well, I guess it's just gone midday. Yeah, so. Well, so, well, that's the thing about midday. Sun's over the yard arm. No judgment. Hashtag Un- no judgment. Hashtag no judgment. Unless, of course, you've done hashtag elevenses. By this time of day, it's autumn, question mark. Yes. Discuss. You you were very excited driving in today because every time you saw a tree that was (laughs) just on the turn, you were like, look at that one. I think I might have pointed at every tree in yes. West Down Street going we, along. And Matt goes, yes, Cam, that one's, yes, that one's brown too. But we love autumn in Melbourne. It's probably my favourite season. Yes. Um, noticed it on Friday while having drinks near the Yarra. Yes. All you can drink Negroni's happy hour. <laughs> That's a very happy hour, that is. I, uh, whoa. <laughs> uh, Negroni's on tap. Um, on tap. Yes. Right. Yes, it's the, how the world should be. Yes. Um, and it was a good thing. Except we uh, discussion came afterwards going, was it really a great idea to drink about three Negronis without actually having a bite to eat? Yeah, not good. Yeah, so uh, hashtag learning. <laughs> hashtag still learning. Uh, yes, good. Uh, maybe even have a piece of bread when you're eating Negronis. <laughs> uh, even how good they are. But looking down the river. Um, was there was this great light shift in in the light and signifying a season about to hit us. I even said to you, do you think we've seen the last of the hot days? And I say yay, whereas you say nay. Nah. You reckon no, up, up past Feb we might still have a couple no, more? No, it, it, it sounded rather than nay. It, yes. was, it was more nah. Nah. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? That mm. was sort of the thing. And what do you think out there, folks? Do you reckon we're going to have a little... Sting in the tail mm. of uh, of summer it usually does. Mm. You know, usually what happens is the kids go back to school and God th- turns up the thermostat. <laughs> yes. You know, like <laughs> they're all in they're all in these buildings in the, watch, por- watch in the portable this. classroom with no air conditioning. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, yeah and actually, if you want to baby boomers, <laughs> if you want me to just bring back a terrible memory, was uh, remember the times of um, enforced milk drinking oh. and they used to leave the milk outside. What? And, yeah. Yeah, that's the Good way Lord. things were before the fluorovis came, Matt. <laughs> before they said you must wear a bike helmet. No, they just left the milk out in the sun yeah. and said, it's recess, time for your milk. Ooh. And for years I was traumatised so much by this, the only way I could drink milk was... Just almost freezing my tongue, yeah, like right. cold. If there was even a suggestion <laughs> of warm milk, and that smell of casein, that milk protein, that's you know what that sound is, don't you, folks? Um, on today's show, yes. uh, as we um, get on, 
uh, with stuff. Um, as Victor Hugo would say, mm. a tale of two victors. Would he really say that? No, that's no. clumsy as all yeah. get out, but I just thought I'd um, go with that. Um, we have um, two very interesting and disparate victors. Yes. Even though food is the thing that binds them. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, from Lee Ho Fook, mm. um, sensational restaurant in Duckboard Place or Lane. Place. Place, I think it is. Um, a place city? actually where Squizzy Taylor used to keep his... Uh, his stolen goods and stuff. Did he really? Back in the day. Right. Yeah, I'm surprised that the Underbelly series didn't happen in there, but probably Victor said, you're not taking over my restaurant, you. <laughs> you haven't got enough money to do that. Uh, but Victor Leong does extraordinary, extraordinary uh, contemporary Chinese food mm. uh, down there. We're going to have a bit of a chat to him and see what makes him tick because mm-hmm. he says, I am Spartan with a splash of orange. Mm-hmm. They're talking amongst themselves. I just saw if there was a, a, uh, a reaction. Scientist noisily leaving the place. Goodbye, brains. And then also we have Victor Passinet. Mm. Uh, and Victor is an affineur. He's a what? Thank you, man. Um, <laughs> you're the best. Uh, Victor is an affineur. And what that is is uh, someone who looks after cheese. Mm. And he's one who massages and conjoles and brushes and... And brings cheese out into the light for yes. people to buy. Actually, he doesn't. He does it in a cheese cave in a secret location somewhere in the city. And <laughs> uh, and we will talk to him about what is cheese. Okay, you like that? That's, that's, the, that's, uh, a, that's a it's a broad spectrum. Isn't boom, it? and there'll be other questions yes. too. Um, but we're going to talk to him about um, yeah, cheese. I mm. mean, you know, life after coon. Yes. Yeah. Life after uh, cheeses that are wrapped in wax and plastic yeah. that die a little inside. Yes. Don't let your cheese die. So anyway, yeah, anyway we're going to talk to Victor and uh, we're going to have a chat to Rosemary Stanton because uh, we have a new word. Now you've you've come, come up, you've discovered this new term. Which Auth- I, yes. I found intriguing. Orthorexia. Orthorexia, which is? is um, it's an obsession with, with healthy eating. An obsession with healthy eating? Yes, an obsession. Right. Have you, have you ever not met some of these food people that become totally obsessed? <laughs> I'm totally obsessed with quinoa. It will save the world. Kale will save me. Ooh, yes. And, you know, the... I mean, kale's delicious, but we've talked about yeah, this before. Yeah, not there's anything wrong with that. No, no. We've talked about this before, the myth of the superfood. Kale milkshake, maybe that might be going... Mm. Anyway, but, you know, it's that whole thing. And one of the great things we love about mm. Rosemary Stanton is she talks about, well, moderation in all things. Travelling mm. that, the middle road yes. of food. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yep. It's not the high road. Yep. It's not the deep-fried Mars by a low road. Although if you love them, you know. Not everyday food. <laughs> that's a sometimes food. Maybe that's sort of like once a year or two. I've never had a deep-fried Mars but I don't feel that I'm missing out. No, you're not. You're not. Mm. Um, quote of the day. Mm-hmm. Got a good one. I have to adopt an accent for this. Right. You ready? <clears throat> Music with dinner is an insult both to the cook and the violinist. And that comes from G.K. Chesterton. Uh, who lived on, who travelled on this earth, 1874 to 1936. I can't stand it when the violins gets too close to me and I'm trying to eat my creme brulee. I think you'd be appalled in the modern modern restaurant world where, you know, some restaurants, the music's so loud you can barely hear each other talk. Yeah. 
No, no. How things have changed. Oh, GK would be storming out of the place would in a be. flash. Would. I'm not coming back here. Um, and also, we have a couple. Um, uh, we haven't got any saints. No, really. Okay, right. I've got something good and obscure though. Good. Uh, before I think, I think you mm. want to bring up something too. If um, but, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, celebrate uh, one and all with us mm. as we all give thanks for the feast of Shismu, <laughs> who, of course, you probably know is the Egyptian god of the wine press. Right. So the Egyptian god of specialised wine equipment. Yes. Shishmu. All hail. Shish. Bow down. And there's a festival. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Get your pyramid on. Get some wine. Shish on. Get some grapes and press it. Grapes, yeah. Good time of year to be. I mean, it's an oddly Southern Hemisphere-centric date because obviously down here it is vintage at the moment and people are pressing wine. It's a slow vintage this year. Well, I've had a chat to Duncan Buchanan. We might in the next few weeks have a chat to him, but uh, it's a little bit more normal. Speaking of vintage... But wait, but wait, I've got one more. One one more. more. And uh, also, Fornicalia. 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 Just drop that. Um, which, of course, is the Old Roman Bread Festival or Feast of Ovens. Feast I know ovens. what you were all thinking out there. Fornicalia huh? <laughs> hey? yeah, sounds Cornicalia, a hey? little bit more fun than just some hey? ovens. Stop that. Sorry. Speaking of wine, you and I both saw during the week... Uh, the Checkout. ...on the ABC TV show, The Checkout. I did. They had an excellent segment on being a wine wanker. Being a wine wanker. Uh, which is good to catch it up on um, iView if you missed it. But my favourite um, wine product wasn't the wine wanker products at all. What was it? It was the wine rack. Okay, which for the, for the ladies out yeah. there, it's a it's a brassiere. Yes, a brassiere. Uh, that you can also put wine into. <laughs> And what did you say? Don't worry about beer goggles. When you've got wine tits. Boom, boom. 12-12 here on 3 Triple RFM. Uh, we're going to get a little bit serious yes. because we've got the very, very lovely uh, Rosemary Stanton to have a chat to us about uh, nutrition. So maybe when some things just go a little bit obsessive and off the rails. Mm. On Triple R. <laughs> Nearly 12.14. That was abrupt, wasn't it? Yeah, well, Unexpectedly you know, so. It was like um, sometimes uh, Matt does really lovely fades and sometimes they're just a little bit hard. Like <laughs> yes. It's sort of like a hard landing at, uh, at the airport. But don't worry, all the passengers were clapping. Yes. Because you got, got the plane end. down. Uh-huh. That's right, we're taxing to, uh, to, the, um, well, to the terminal. And uh, as we come through, and it's really, really great when you're met at the plane and there to meet us at the plane is Rosemary Stanton. Rosemary Stanton, you've met us. Can you give us a lift into town? Oh, I don't know. Get going <laughs> the back of my bicycle. <laughs> okay. Oh, we can dink. Um, <laughs> Rosemary, a very, very great afternoon. God, that's good and great altogether. Excuse my uh, lack that's of, of right, being able yeah. to speak. I told people we're on 80% today. Um, how do we find you uh, in the uh, the land of New South Wales? Oh, you find me in an area where all we want is some rain, please. But otherwise, oh, really? everything's, everything's happy. Yeah, we haven't had any around here. And I live in dairying country, so my neighbours oh. are not really happy. And yeah. creeks are low or stopping and all that sort of stuff. So and we desperately need some rain. So not exactly surrounded by fine green paddocks. 
Well, our place doesn't look too bad. We've had the odd shower that if you haven't, we've got mainly rainforest here, so um, our creeks are still running and our grass is still green, but most of it isn't. So a bit more rain would be nice and it would make the weeds easier to pull out as well. That's tr- <laughs> Oh, yes, that is true. They, 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 they don't resist as much. But, um, <laughs> Rosemary, I, um, I had a chat to you earlier in the week and I said, look, we've, we've started the show again and we, we love having you on and I'm, I just thought I'd throw a few issues to you. And one of them was I sent you something that had been reported in the BBC. And um, it was a word that I hadn't seen before, and I thought maybe we might actually uh, use it as a, a chance for a broader discussion. And the word is orthorexia. Yes, unfortunately it's a word that uh, I and most people who work in the profession are, are all too familiar with. Oh. Um, it comes from the Greek orthos, meaning means uh, sort of correct or right or sort of perfect. As in orthodoxy and, is, and stuff like that. Oh, yep. yeah, that's right. But yep. these people have an obsession with food that they call clean food or pure food or perfect food, foods they consider healthy, and the obsession is such that they often have very strange lifestyles. They won't go to a birthday party, for example, because there might be some impure food there. There might not uh, be quinoa. Pic- yeah, or they take pictures of their clean food and stick it on Instagram um, and, of course, many of them end up with quite inadequate diets because they cut out whole whole classes of foods. Very often they'll, they won't eat any grains, for example, they won't eat any dairy products, although the only dairy product they'll sometimes eat is butter, which seems slightly strange to me. Yes. Um, not that I don't eat butter. I certainly don't eat margarine and I would eat butter. And I'm not going to go around telling everyone they can eat loads of butter, though. You know, yes. Sort of, They've gone from sort of looking at um, a bit of moderation to looking at absolute uh, nothing with certain categories of foods. And so their lives are really dominated uh, by this. So they wouldn't, for example, join you in a piece of birthday cake. Um, You can't have cake, it's terrible. They Mm. wondered about the whole French population because they eat bread and how do they manage. (laughs) Why are they still alive? You'll get bread. It's, It's sort of... It becomes quite ridiculous, and, and sometimes it develops from people who, in fact, it mostly seems to develop from people who are trying to be healthy. Sometimes it goes mm. the other way, and you have people with anorexia, and they sort of sort of get over their anorexia by developing this orthorexia, um, but it really doesn't help the basic problem of having this all-or-nothing, totally sort of um, obsessive approach to eating. So it, it is a problem, I and mean, as, as you know, I'm all in favour of healthy eating, but I'm also in favour of the fact that healthy eating doesn't mean you can never have things that aren't especially healthy. It just means you don't have your whole diet full of them all the time. But you really ought to be able to include anything occasionally in a, you know, an appropriate sort of portion. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who become totally obsessed mm. uh, with what they're eating. Um, and, and some people expect that people like me will do it. I mean, I've often had the, the thing, the, sort of the comment to me, oh, how do you manage to go to a restaurant? Because what if they have impure food? <laughs> so, well, you know, it's pretty hard to go somewhere where I can't find something. I might find it a bit hard with some of the fast food restaurants, but I wouldn't go there because I think the food isn't particularly tasty. And it tastes really good. But, but mostly, I mean, I live in a country town and, and my country town has a pub. And, okay, there's a fair few fried junky things in that pub, but there's always something there that's fine. You know, you don't don't have to stay away from your local pub because some of the things there uh, perhaps aren't quite what you want and and nothing there would be quite, 
you know, probably not going to be good on Instagram. <laughs> Ooh, there you go. Hey, okay, so it just let me just, just kick that down the road a little bit. So it's like an obsession by any other name can be a dangerous thing. And I'm, and I'm just wondering how long has this been a problem for? I mean, um, when did you sort of start noticing this and when was this word formed? Well, it started about 20 years ago. Uh, that's when the, the, form, the, the word was sort of brought into practice in the late 1990s. Yes. Um, and, and people started noticing that uh, people were going off on this obsession. Now, in, at that time, there were mostly people who had, had anorexia and they decided that this was their cure, that they would sort of, you know, be not as unreasonable as people with anorexia nervosa who can be. eat nothing. Yes. But they still, they still retained the obsession um, and they still ended up having inadequate diets and health problems as a result of it. So, so it's it almost like of, an, a, a transference of an obsession, isn't it, really? Look, it is. And, and very often they go on to sort of, they have crazy little things. So you have people who say they're having an alkaline diet. Mm. Um, they've got to detox all the time because mm. they're quite sure that their body is full of hideous toxins. Toxins. And that they must get rid of these, totally ignoring the fact that you've got liver and kidneys and lungs and skin that do this 24 hours a day. That's um, their gig. Like it or not. Yeah, yes. Uh, and so they go in for these extremes. So there's all there's, there's a lot of variations, of course, to it. But whenever anybody becomes totally obsessed with these things, it really is is a problem because it starts to dominate their lives. And once you get that sort of a, obsession, then you certainly aren't eating healthily. So we do not find these people having healthy diets. Often it'll start with with a, a very low carb diet, as people say, mustn't have carbs; they're, they're evil. Mm. Um, and so they want no carbs, so they have no grains. That's one of the reasons why they'll eat butter, but not milk or, or yogurt, because there's some carbohydrate in milk and yogurt. Mm. So they go on to these sort of things, and then they think that this is um, the way they live. I had somebody just last week who said there were so many impure foods around that he now just ate once a day, and he <laughs> ate a very large Sorry. portion of what he considered all right, but his diet was hopeless, yeah. um, missing lots of nutrients, and yet he sort of had this obsession that it, there were so many things he couldn't eat um, because they might be uh, have, have some evil, they might have a bit of carbohydrate, basically, so he was r restricted, wouldn't even eat fruit restricted to a, a, a small selection of vegetables, loads and loads of meat, which was not healthy. Not? I mean, okay. nothing wrong with having some meat, but eating, you know, five, six, seven hundred grams of meat at a time because that's all you're allowed to eat. That's Whoa. really a bit unbalanced. That's, I, I agree. Okay, and let's... Um, we've just got a little bit of time left, Rosemary, for... What's your advice for um, people that are in this predicament and also loved ones that have um, have observed this in others what, what how would you um, how would you say for people to proceed on this well it's very difficult because if they don't want to proceed they they no, won't yes. i mean there are quite a lot of dietitians around who specialize in this sort of thing often working in conjunction with a psychologist mm. and gps will often know who these people are in their area and can can advise people um, but it is, a, it is a combination of knowing how to get out of it correctly from the nutritional point of view, but also addressing the psychological reasons why people are going down this sort of way. But I think the first thing most people could do is they could stop reading blogs of people who follow obsessive diets uh, and carry on about it a great deal. It really, they, they have a lot of incorrect information. So 
you know, stop going to Dr. Google and reading people's blogs about their crazy diets. And, um, and there ain't no miracles around. There certainly aren't. Uh, you know, nothing that's going to be a miracle, and these things are ultimately going to do you more harm than good. If it sounds totally extreme, and you can't, uh, certainly if it interferes with your social life so that you won't go to somebody's birthday, you wouldn't go. Recently, some people couldn't have family Christmas because there'd be impure foods and all this unclean food. And for goodness sake, stop taking photographs of everything you eat and making, you know, people have these breakfast bowls that they carefully arrange with all manner of, of um, superfoods. I mean, this whole superfood thing could go as well, please. Um, and, and then they take a photograph of it and send it to everyone. It, it really is. It's kind of crazy. Get a life, you know. <laughs> Rosemary, one, one, of, one of the best reports we've had from you. Thank you so much for that. And always, um, always good sense. Moderation is the key. I, I think we'll just leave all those other comments, just left those standing for, for other peoples to, uh, to relate to, hopefully. Thanks, Cam. Pleasure, as always. Rosemary, thank you. And we will say a little prayer to the rain god so that uh, a lovely, <laughs> gentle rain falls along uh, and fills the creeks and, uh, and, and improves the dairy pastures around you. Thank you, Rosemary. Thank you. 1224, mm. 3 Triple RFM. My name's Cam Smith, and we've got some music. And Matt's Deadman, too. Yeah. Come, too. come on, man. Yeah. And he's going to play some music for you. Yeah. That's what he does so well. Barrett, what's going on there? they got disco strings. <laughs> All those violinists. I don't know what G.K. Chesterton would say about would that. Not have approved. I don't know about disco strings with my dinner. <laughs> and, uh, but someone who probably could, you know, he'd probably be cool with a bit of disco string kind of music. Victor Passenet, bonjour. Comment ça va? Bonjour. Uh, um, ça va? Ça I'm va? excellent, yeah. Ça va bien? Good. I'm fine. Ça va bien avec fromage? I know you wanted it, so I'm doing it. <laughs> I always wanted to, you know. Uh, but I did bring a little bit of cheese today. Fantastic. Um, Before yeah. we go on about this, that um, you go with those extensive notes uh, that you've prepared. First of all, welcome to 3 Triple R. We... I've been remiss in not getting you in here before, so my apologies to you for that. Victor inhabits a space, a very, very special place that uh, has transformed from a car park in Spring Street where magic happens. Magic, yes, uh, beautiful magic. Mm. So we are in Spring Street. It's uh, 157 Spring Street. How long have you been there for now? Um, no, it's been uh, nearly four years. Nearly four, yeah, years. four years. No, five years yet. Yes. But four years, it's already... Uh, pretty good score because yeah. I'm actually underground and it's the best solution to keep cheese uh, we have a fantastic humidity we yes. have a lot of temperature and we have two beautiful cheese maturation room wow it's helping us so, that's so let more. me let me just stop you there because traditionally some of the greatest cheeses happen through this incredible serendipity this wonderful accident almost where milk was there, this is apocryphal, but milk yeah. was left inside a cave, and I'm thinking specifically, say, the caves of Roquefort and, mm -hmm. say, Gorgon, where Gorgonzola is made. Yeah, let's speak about Roquefort in French. Okay, <laughs> yes, c'est vrai, I understand. So let's, okay, Roquefort, where sheep's milk was left That's inside right. a cave, and what was it that made that magic happen? 
Uh, it's actually a mix of a lot of things. Uh, first, it's a mix of love, yeah, because of um, at the yeah. end, you know, oh, if Matt, there was Matt going on. <laughs> if there was no love, there won't be any blue cheese. Yes. Basically, it's a shepherd a long time ago. Mm. Uh, his job was. What was his name? Jean Paul. Wow. Yeah, let's call it Jean-Paul. Jean-Paul. It's a beautiful name. Jean-Paul. So Jean-Paul was, yeah. his job of Jean-Paul was to bring the cheese to the natural cave. <coughs> and have his breakfast as, as yep. well over there. Yes. And at the end, he saw a beautiful girl just next to the cave. Of course he did. And he forgot to eat. And for three weeks, he was following this lovely lady. <laughs> Until she had a restraining order put on him. No. Yes. This is the lady. No, yes, then yes. after, you know, what did happen for three weeks? Oh, my so God. So did, he, did he get the girl? I wasn't there. Oh, we don't yeah. know. But the Let's legend, say that he did. The legend said that he didn't, but oh, because he was following her. But that's mm. the legend. They always want to be nice. Yes. At the end, uh, when he came back. Um, heartbroken. Heartbroken. Right. And also very sad because the room was totally blue. Blue of everywhere. Every cheese was covered of mold. Oh, no. It was and he the said, first oh, time. God. And he realized that he left his sandwich next to the cheese. Yes. So I can let you imagine if you leave a packet of bread, you know, a loaf of bread mm. at home. You mm. go in holidays yes. with your partner. Yep. Then you come back three weeks after. Oh, Jesus, we left the bread out. Yeah. Look the at bread it. bread is blue. Yeah. So basically, it's exactly the same thing that was happen. Mm. The bread became blue. There was a little bit of wind of love also in the cave, and then the blue mold went onto the cheese. Hmm. Uh, the cheese was blue only on the outside. So it took nearly a thousand years to understand that to get the blue inside, you, you need to, to press it to give the oxygen. Because no oxygen, no life. It's basically like us. If we cannot breathe, we cannot live. Bacteria is the same. And this is the thing that, and also one of the characteristics of that cave, which allowed that blue mold to grow and thrive, was two things, low temperature and high humidity. Yeah, low temperature, like between 5 and 8 degrees, and mm -hmm. high humidity, like 95 degrees. Gotcha. So that was a natural cave. So basically it was made with an earthquake. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the mountain called Le Mont Combalou. And uh, say that again. Mont like mount. Mountain. Yeah. And uh, Combalou. Combalou. Yeah. It's not a mountain. It's a mount. Oh, a little mount. Yeah. It's a little mountain. Basically. It's like a little. It's like a hill. Yeah. It's like okay. a hill, but it's a broken hill. A mountainette. A mountainette. Mountainette. Yes. A mountainette. <laughs> uh, like a broken hill. Yes. And basically, all the rocks was. All the rocks was on the top of each other. Yes. So at the end, you get a little bit of airflow that goes in. Ah. Because you need this airflow. Yes. So but if you are in France, you have some speci uh, special word for it. Yes. Specific word. Yes. Which is basically the florine. Uh, that means it's a little uh, break. Yes. Like this, the air can go in and you have a slow ventilation. So there is a little movement and that's make the bacteria living. Gotcha. And this is what is happening. Um, so this is what the, in the natural world what happens. So that uh, in the case of, of Roquefort, that uh, these cheeses are matured and brought into the uh, into the light to be cherished and sold mm. on. So, and this is what happens in Spring Street and the Spring Street Grocer underneath. In you go down these steps, this little spiral staircase, and you go into this room where. You guys have been able, you and Effie and Caitlin, uh, Caitlin uh, have all worked very, very hard to do this to the cheeses that you get to your little enfant. 
Not terrible, but yeah. Uh, okay, we don't really age blue uh, yes. because we don't really want to mix the blue mold with That's all true. the cheeses. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. So what we do, we basically age a certain type of cheese. So we're gonna age a few Comté, you know, those big cheeses. Yeah. Uh, the cousin of the Gruyere. Um, sorry, did I say that? Yes, sorry. That was me just going and looking at this piece of cheese, going, "Oh my God!" Yes, yes. Yeah, and you have you should have seen his eyes actually. Um, <laughs> Yes. Anyway, yes. Uh, so we do age some uh, some hard cheeses over there, mm. and uh, the concept is uh, uh, for the hard cheeses is to suck up the moisture basically because we don't really realize, but milk is ninety percent of water. So when you are making a cheese, God, that was quick. You got something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You got something like uh, if you want to do one li- uh, one kilo of cheese, you yes. need ten liters of milk. And then wow. you have something that you can call cheese. You give a form to the uh, to the milk, basically. Then you can start to sell it uh, for some people. And us, as an affineur, as a cheesemonger. As an affineur, there's that very important word. Yes. Yeah, as an affineur, we, we basically try to develop the flavor. So to make it simple, it's like when you cook. When you do a sauce reduction, mm. a reduction. You basically want to take off the moisture. So therefore, you can concentrate and the flavors. Concentrate the flavors. Yeah. Yes. So it, it's a little bit silly from our part because by doing this uh, this thing, we're gonna lose weight on our cheeses. This is sort of like what uh, the people who make cognac and things like they talk about the angel's share. You know, that yeah. sort of goes up you into ba- the, into the atmosphere. Yeah, you basically lose on quantity, but you goes high in in quality, and that's very important. Mm. Uh, most of the people doesn't really realize this because, uh, like today, we're gonna try some Gruyere, but you have Gruyere Reserve, you have Gruyere d'Alpage, you have Gruyere, Gruyere, just a Gruyere, a normal Gruyere, and mm. it's all different grade and all different philosophy and all different age. So usually, when you age a cheese, you basically lose twenty percent of the weight, more or less. It depends the cheese. Mm. And and I guess this brings us to. Um you know, cheese is almost, it, it is like a living organism. And when, I know that when Victor sees things like pieces of cheddar that have been dipped in, in wax, he he sheds a tear. Actually, there's a few tears that are shed because he knows that these things are, they are dead inside. And maybe that's something that maybe not many people understand, but the, yeah. the whole idea of when you dip something in wax... The, the, the wax mm, sometimes can be good, actually, because mm-hmm. it can be a tradition. Yep. If you go in Netherlands, yes, yes, they they wax oh, the, the cheese. Yeah, the gouda. gouda. Or, yeah, if, let's say if you want to pronounce it on the Dutch way. Oh, here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready for this, Matt? Sure. And gouda. Okay, can we just have that, Matt? Can you do that, please? Gouda. 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 Are we all doing this at home? Gouda. gouda. <laughs> yes. Get that palate shake. So uh, you, have, you have to imagine, you have to understand, because cheese is a lot of history and a lot of geography. Yeah. And if you go back on the time, uh, the Dutch was very well known for traveling by boat. Yes. The only way to be able to keep their cheese on their boat was to wax the cheese like this. Uh, it's not to lose yes, humidity. So it was necessity. It's a necessity to yeah. keep your cheese away of the humidity because uh, the sea or the, the the water is very humid. <laughs> yeah. Hello. And then also, this is good, because if they run out of cannonballs, you could probably a stick a gouda gun. Oh, I got it! We got it. That's hey. okay. It's all right. Hey. <laughs> Try the cheese. Da, 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 da. Da, da, boom, boom. Um, 12.39. Maddie, how much time we got left? We've got about another 
four minutes or so uh, before we bring in the uh, uh, Victor Leong in. Yeah. Um, but I'm just interested, just quickly before we, we do, and we need do need to discover some of these favourite cheeses that you brought in, but. How did you get into this this role of being someone that looks after cheese? Uh, it's very simple. First yeah. of all, we work at the cheese. You're not uh, you, you're not from here originally. No, no, no. Uh, it's bleeding obvious. Uh, I'm from the planet for sure, but uh, yes, <laughs> planet Earth. I think here the, I am. Do you think they get my accent or? I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, sure. so what part of well, Italy are you from again? Uh, <laughs> from uh, Ventimiglia. Ah, okay. yes, uh, yes, because Cameron is actually right. I'm Italian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> often I was uh, sleeping in Italy and uh, living in France. Basically, I'm from the border of France and Italy. Oh, you are? Uh, okay. Yeah, so yes. my address at home is actually in Italy, but uh, my passport is French. Wow. And my school was in France. So it's okay. a bit of a confusing thing when people ask me where I come from. Yes. I speak French, but I act like an Italian. And yeah, the hands. Yes. Yeah, you, you tie his hands up, he can't speak. Um, exactly. But how, what, what, and, how, um, how did this, this uh, happen? This look, I've been always into food. I've been mm. working with many people who were great in food, and uh, I just wanted to keep going and to focus on, on the mono product. Mm. And when I came to Australia, uh, that's true, you know, uh, I work in a fromagerie. And I started. Which one? Uh, where, where did you? I, I did work at Richmond Hill Cafe and Ladder. Because uh, that was that was probably the first with Sophie and that crew. And oh, geez, that's Will Studd too, isn't it? Yeah, um, they so. were the first ones to actually do what you're doing, having a, a cheese maturation room. Yes, but I wanted to have really some better knowledge about this and mm. understanding a little bit more the product. Uh, I wanted to have some confirmation. I went back from, uh, to France and I was trying to do a, a tour de France des fromages and I realized there was a lot of factory and all this stuff. So I knocked to the door to an, a real affiner, like one of the biggest one, which is Hervé Mons. Mm. So like it, who's it? Hervé Mons. Hervé Mons. He is the Pope of the cheese in, uh, in Europe and in the world, basically. The Pope of the cheese. Uh, the Pope of the cheese. <laughs> I used to work in a tunnel with him and he basically explained me what was cheese. Cheese, it's made by the poor people for the poor people. It's basically to save the milk. And, it, and, uh, it's and also it's a way to make cheese portable that you yes. can take it. And it's easier for you to uh, actually keep food when, it's, when you have plenty during mm. summer to keep it during winter. And also you understand also when you work with those kind of people because you're going to see the producer and you understand the landscape and you understand why uh, a cheese need to be big and why a cheese need to be small and why there is some goat cheese in this part of France and why there is some sheep milk there mm. and a, a lot of things even about pasteurization that raw milk is beautiful but a good pasteurized cheese can be well done as well uh, it teach me that cheese need to be simple it's a, it's a food of every day and you don't have to be afraid to ask your cheesemonger a question there is no stupid question there is just stupid answer so they, they gave me a philosophy where I want to educate people. I want to introduce some new cheeses in Australia. I'm working as an importer. Mm. I'm getting some cheese that is mm. not very usual. Uh, they are unusual in Australia. And I just want to bring a lot of new goodies for all the Australian customers. Well, I'll tell you what, Victor, I think what we won't have to do is give you the chance to do that. And you're going to have to come back soon, I think, and maybe we can go on some of the... We can talk about different varieties of cheeses and maybe talk a little bit about the history of that. What do you think, Matt? That sounds yes. Like I think yes. I so yes. did well for my first time. No, I think well, <laughs> you've got to re re return. Um, but, uh, again, just to let people know, where are you residing so people can come and visit you? Because I think this is one of the 
in a way, it's one of the best kept food secrets uh, in Melbourne, and in a way, you've also wanted to keep it that way. But let's spill the beans. Where do we find you? So it's very easy. Just ask for the Parliament, and uh, we are front of the Parliament, one five seven Spring Street. You ask for the cheese room, or even you just look for uh, some gelati as well, because we do look our for own gelati. Gelati, you know, it's an Italian thing. So oh, it's the gelati. Gelati. Yeah, if you find the gelati, then you will find us. <laughs> and also look for the little yellow neon sign on the on the ceiling, and you will see it. Just and a little thing that says cheese. And the, the spiral ter- staircase yeah, as well. Yeah. You've got to be brave and go down the spiral. Yeah, yeah. First time you do it, you go, am I, am I allowed to go yeah, down yeah. the spiral? Don't be afraid to ask because some people come for one year and they still don't know there is a cheese from downstairs. Yeah. They think it's a, it's a dry room, a store room. Store room. It is not a store room. It is a beautiful cheese room. Yeah, but when you do come in, make sure you close the door after you because we have to keep all those things in. And uh, then I would bark. Yeah, so you don't want to, uh, no, don't get Victor angry because it's not good. Um, say hello to everybody down there. Um, in that hello to Effie. Yeah. And uh, Effie is in the cheese room right now. Mm. And uh, Kathleen is. Uh, enjoying a little bit of vino outside I'm sure with a bit of cheese but I say hello to uh, my two colleagues um, and uh, hopefully we're going to keep going this good stuff for a long 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 time why not Um, we're going to keep on moving because uh, that's the way the radio is it's relentless in the way the time keeps moving forward Victor thank you for uh, for joining us and we're going to have another Victor on Mm. Uh, Victor from Lee Ho Fook. Do you know where that word comes from? You should. I bet you do. But uh, no doubt uh, Victor's been asked that many times, and we're going to find out after this on Triple R. Thanks. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to 3 Triple R. And all is good here on Sunday. Yeah. I've got cheese in front of us. We've been speaking to Victor number one, which was kind of cool. <laughs> We're going to bring in Victor number two, which is even cooler. Yeah. And uh, that time kind of starts now. Victor Leong, a very, very good afternoon to you. How are you? Oh, better for seeing you. It's, uh, it's good. Thank you, first of all, for giving up uh, part of your Sunday, although Lee Ho Fook is open on uh, Sunday evenings from 6 p.m. Correct. Correct. Tick, I got my first question right. This, is, uh, this, uh, this interview is going well, man. Um, and... Um, I've been remiss. There's two victors which we should have had on a lot earlier. So I'm sorry it's taken so long to finally drag you in here to East Brunswick to have a chat. But um, Lee Ho Fook, tell us a, a little bit about the place and the space that you inhabit within Postcode 3000. So Lee Ho Fook um, in its current location is... Um, just down the, down the bottom of a laneway called Duckboard Place. Mm. Um, quite iconic because it kind of loops around to ACDC Lane. Yeah. Originally um, in Collingwood, yeah? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. We started the, um, the restaurant in Collingwood on Smith Street, um, and then we moved it into the current location about two and a half years ago. Um, and it, when I first saw the site, it was one of those things where I said, you know, this is an awesome location to, to have a project kind of like a restaurant. You know, um, it was a wall store. Uh, built in the 1920s. In yes. that whole area used to be um, rag traders and you know garment makers. And because it used to be a manufacturing correct, area. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So this, the um, so Lee Ho Fook was the 
basically like the, the that little precincts, little wool stall. So you know, we kept the crane. The crane used to crane the bales of um, of wool upstairs and used to be processed to yarn and then sold back into the kind of the area. It's mm. really kind of um gorgeous space it's two floors um you know the brickwork and all the you know the alcoves and all the kind of uh timber we've kept in the and original a beautiful condition. pitched exactly. ceiling is that like a pitched yeah, ceiling anyway it's, it's got all the beautiful uh the bracing the, mm. the wooden bracing and it's a really really great contemporary space a mixture of old and new is it true about squizzy taylor being yeah inhabiting I, apparently there? he um he 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 did own it for a little bit, and um, it was a, a warehouse for his bootlegging operation for a very short time. Gotcha. That's um, yeah. That's the his, that's part of the history. So that, that, that was he. he yeah. uh, Squizzy was in there. Now, um, you've come in there, and um, of course, originally we'll get through that. We may as well do this pretty quickly because we want to get on to the meat of the interview, if you like, <laughs> using the food analogy. Um, but uh, originally, uh, Sydney. Yeah, so ori- Dan Hong, Galileo. Correct. Yeah, correct. So originally, I'm. From Sydney, I moved to Melbourne in 2013 to open Leho Fook, which is a, you know, most What brought exciting. you down here? Well, the idea. Culture? Yeah, culture. Integrity? You know, I, I've oh, sorry, always loved, yes. you know, Melbourne. You know, yes. I've always thought that, you know, I'd, I'd probably eventually settle here or, you know, have, um, live a part of my life here. You get a Melbourne kind of vibe, Victor. <laughs> you were being wasted up there in that, in no, that other place. Yeah, Sydney's not really my scene, you know, I think, yeah. um, yeah. you know, I, I, I did have a great time, you know, growing up there and, you know, Big part of my life is from there, but you know, I, I love I love being, you know, part of the Melbourne food scene and you know, operating here. You know, the people are lovely. It's a great city to be around. You know, the culture. The you know, it's a gorgeous place. Um, yeah, just just loving it here. And one of the things when you first opened Leo Fook, I'm just wondering what sort of informed what you wanted to do. Um, I did a cursory amount of you know, quick little mm. let's face it, uh, internet searches, and one thing stood out for me and so you said one of the things that sort of defined your style was spartan with a dash of orange yes yeah <laughs> yes yeah i like yeah that's actually that's the first line of my business plan actually how did you get that um <laughs> i don't know it's just, <laughs> no it's um i really like the idea of pairing something back especially you know um chinese you know, I've always kind of been obsessed with, you know, Chinese food, Chinese culture, and, you know, yes. it's very rich, diverse. It's, you know, it goes back a long time, and it's a lot of kind of... A few, uh, few decades. Yeah, you know, it's had, it's had a few runs on the board. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, but what's cool is then it's like, you know, it's what's what's also awesome about uh, Melbourne is, you know, they, they have a great understanding of that because, you know, it is probably the oldest um, Chinese community in Australia here. Since 1852. Yeah. You know, it's a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, being in a city where it's kind of been ingrained and, you know, a big part of the culture, I think, then it comes with an understanding where when you start, you know, kind of um, redoing the puzzle a little bit. It's okay because yeah, we, exactly. we already understand yeah, the foundations. Exactly. Totally, we we totally. can see that house that's already been built and we can understand the yes, annex or the, exactly. the additions that exactly. you put to it. So um, that was one of the kind of, most appealing things about operating out of uh, Melbourne and and startingly focus because that you know there was you know it was an audience that would understand it a little bit better and mm. then I felt that I could fit you know uh, my kind of personality my creativity and my style a little bit better here than I would anywhere else in Australia makes sense yeah it makes sense uh, very 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 much so um so when you did open up uh Lee Ho Fook 
how did it go? How, how did how did you, how how did, how did that go? In, in it was getting- awesome. You know, I think it's like, you know, I I always kind of compare it to you know a real angsty creative artist that releases his first album after being signed. It's always going to be you know the one that is just bursting with creative free like you know creative kind of angst and you know like it's the the opportunity to finally kind of just let it all out and and you know the audience are, are loving it so it was Cause, it cause felt your ex- menu is your album isn't exactly it, yeah, it yeah, felt yeah. exactly yeah. like that opening kind of you know the pro um Leho Fook, when it first started it felt like you know i finally had a kitchen that that was built to do the food that i wanted to do and you know i'm not a, an expert on say chinese cuisine but i think you know i was an expert on the food that i wanted to present you know what i mean so it was kind of like hey you know i might not be this guitar maestro but i like you know adding guitar into my you know music into the mix exactly so it really felt like that you know like kind of building building a kitchen that you know felt exactly like how i wanted to do it and cooking the food you know um, progressively exactly like how i wanted to to be expressed creatively and that was awesome did you have any anything sort of special in the way that you wanted your kitchen to be and to function and to look well yeah definitely you know the functionality part is you know it's 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 a it's a an amalgamation of all your your experiences you know um and you you know there's obviously a few uh, quirks and tweaks in there that um are exactly like how you want it which helps but then you know i'm i'm looking at it in terms of like a longer term creativity where the understanding is, you know, I'm also learning a lot about Chinese cuisine while I'm cooking this kind of thing too. We always are, aren't we? That's, That's the, right. one of the things as we get older, we really That's understand. Right. And the other, th- and what was cool about that was, um, you know, I can't do this by myself. So it's a lot of, you know, my, the staff or, you know, the chefs that come through and, and they want to learn this, this, this amazing, um, cuisine as well. I have mm. to almost code it in a language where, you know, anyone that say could cook, before had prior experience before could come into the kitchen and not feel like oh you know i have an apprehension of cooking chinese food because you know i don't understand the palates but then it's like look it's you know you can cook though so it's i need to make it in you know almost write it in a language where everyone who knows the kind of fundamentals of how to cook to be able to achieve you know what we what we're trying to kind of um, express in the restaurant so that was really cool you know what i mean yeah so you don't sort of excuse the clumsy analogy that you hit the a great food wall yeah exactly or like you know you have to be chinese to cook chinese food which i think is bullshit you know what i mean i think it's um it's that you know yeah you you know i'm sure you can say for example cook a piece of fish but this is how we cook our piece of fish here and then it's like okay how do we season something this is you know the understanding of seasoning comes from this and it's you know levels of you know um salt sweet um you know umami richness and all these things are from ingredients and that's all coded in an in a recipe that's cut into grams and Mm. it's all um exactly like you know consistently the same every time you know one person who really nailed it for me i think was actually is a honky is Neil Perry. Mm. And Neil Perry actually put out a book a while ago, I don't know if you've seen it, called Just Balance and Harmony. Mm-hmm. And it was this ethos in the forward that underpins the whole book. And it's sort of like once you get an understanding of that, then you really start to get a, 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 your head around the ethos of Chinese cuisine. Is that a true exactly. statement? I think it's also because, you know, for example, you'd go to like the supermarket and you'll see um, – you know, like 15 different brands of soy sauce. And then if yes. someone says light soy, there's, you know, 10 
brands of like soy. So it's like having <laughs> or, or an understanding. Soy. Yeah, exactly. So having the understanding of how every one of these, you know, uh, taste and function is basically like picking a style of say light red wine. So you know, there's Gamay, there's Pinot. So it's just understanding Beaujolais, exactly yeah, the, yeah, all yeah. of this. So it's it's exactly like that, but in a savory palette, and also like why we use it. And you got to, you know, um, almost right now educate the guys in how to how to use it and apply it properly. <laughs> yeah, I know it's very complex. There, there, was, very no, complex. there was an implied threat in that last no, no, little bit. It's, it's in very complex. Using it properly, yeah, it's very, it's very be. complex. But it's it's, it's a fun, ex- <laughs> you know. And and that's the thing. Like the All way right. I, you know, my palate's different to yours. And you know, yeah. who am I to tell you how to cook the food that you're going to eat? So mm. it's exciting. It's still very exciting. Can I ask? Um, I, I'm going to ask you to maybe divulge something. And if you want to tell me no, I don't want to do it. You can just tell me to go jump. But there's there's a couple things. There's so many things I love eating off your menu, and I've only been able to experience it a couple of times. But there's one that has been remarked upon by a lot of different people, and it is bringing something so simple as eggplant. He's nodding his head already. Going, yeah. Yes, I know this, Cam. But um, I think this is probably um, Helicopter Harden, Hardcase Harden, um, <laughs> who, who writes for Gourmet Travelers. Sorry, that's an in-joke. Um, but... There is this this dish, eggplant with red vinegar, and I'll just give his description of it. Eggplant cigars inside a toffee crisp batter sluiced with red vinegar for sweet and sour brilliance. It's amazing how something so simple can be so profound, and I'm just wondering, tell me about just that about that dish and how you put it together. Well, yeah, you know... In, I, in about the last two yeah. minutes we've got. No, it's because, you know, I've always wanted a a dish that was, you know, kind of simple yeah um and also like that would kind of impact everybody you know because everyone's like i I like eggplant or i've had eggplant before Um, and it's it's actually it was it was cool because it was quite you know a a sum of its parts this dish you know um i wanted to make a vegetarian dish first of all second of all i wanted it to almost be vegan yes um, and not seasonal yes and also um Consistent every time. Yes. Um, and it was basically like a reinvention of a Sichuan classic called uh, Fish Fragrant Eggplant. But yes. that's actually like a braise, braise caponata style dish. You know, it's gotcha. like, so, but I didn't want it like uh, that. Caponata, so, like agro-dog shape. Yeah, sweet exactly. So it's always, you know, yeah. that kind of stewed eggplant. Yes. That, that's, you know, it's a braise. This ain't. Exactly. So I wanted it to be exciting and interesting, but still have the kind of a flavor profile and, you know, a little bit of like excitement in that. And, you know, you'd be happy to eat like something crunchy all the time as opposed to a big bowl of something, you know, mushy um, and yeah, sloppy yeah. and a little bit oily. Yes. And so that's, yeah, it was kind of a big uh, mix mishmash of all those things that kind of arrived at this so i would say to everybody out there it's um i'm, I'm gonna go all molly meldrum mm-hmm. and say do yourself a favor um I, this is almost like a bucket list thing you've got to go to leho fook and just try this eggplant because it's amazing when something is elevated to something ordinary becomes extraordinary and i think you've done that with that and also if i can just do big ups to the flavor profile i can see matt waving through the window <laughs> um the uh the creme caramel with jasmine correct yeah <laughs> That is amazing. We're um, open seven days. Hey, come and see us. Um, Victor, you have to come back. Maybe we can um, talk about other dishes. I think we bring the two Victors. We're going to reform the band and bring you guys back. Amazing. Um, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure for both of you. Victor number two, Victor number one, actually. Monsieur. Merci beaucoup. C'est magnifique. Uh, Excellent. One o'clock. What's happening, man? Sunday lunch coming up next. Toby and the crew. They're talking about... 
The loneliest bird in the world. The loneliest bird in the world. Amongst other things, also corporate tax cuts and how awesome they are. How can you cut something when they don't pay tax? They were great last week. I can't wait to hear what they've got to say this week. Keep tuned to the radio. It's all happening. I'm going. Barbecue day next week. I was going to say, come on down and join us at series. See you then. Bye. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.